As a commercial for one insurance company tells us, life comes at you fast, and certainly in this era of COVID-19 pandemic, it seems like our head has been in a swivel with all the plethora of news that has been lobbed at us left and right in the last five months. Recently, though, there has been some hope. It was less than two weeks ago, on July 31st to be exact, where the Pac-12 released a modified conference-only football schedule, which certainly gave hope for the fans of that conference that we would see football in the fall, albeit at a little later date than usual, and with less contests to be played. But today, on August 11th, five months to the date from the time the NBA was the first sport to halt its operations due to the pandemic, the Pac-12, following an announcement by the Big Ten earlier in the day, mirrored that decision and decided to postpone its fall football schedule to the spring of 2021. This is obviously a move that opens the door to a lot of questions that we simply don't have all the answers to at this point. Nonetheless, in this emergency podcast, I will share my views on the Pac-12 decision, try to address some of those concerns that did arise from today's announcement. Obviously, we have a lot of aspects to discuss, and as always, I would field your questions concerning this matter, and maybe even share some of your venting concerning today's dramatic decision, and what does it mean for college football as a whole, and for the Sun Devils in specific. So thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdynast.com publisher Hode Rubino. And ever since I took over this podcast about a year and a half ago, I believe this does mark the first emergency podcast that I hosted. And we're definitely not being hyperbolic calling this an emergency podcast because a very dramatic decision, certainly the most dramatic decision regarding the Pac-12 ever since its inception back in 2011, and that is the postponement of the football season from the fall to the spring of 2021. As we sit here right now, there is no exact date for that kickoff of the season. And there are definitely challenges we'll talk about later on in the podcast. Basically playing two seasons in one calendar year, that is something that not even the NFL does. Uh, Definitely has never been done in college football. But here we are sitting here, at least from an ASU perspective, the first time since 1945 where the Sun Devils are not going to play a football season in a given calendar year. And... I think what's really frustrating for a lot of folks and whether you're supportive of this decision or definitely have some big issues with it, and I will talk about both sides of the argument here, is that the Pac-12 being part of the Power Five conference groups is now seeing more than ever a clear split, a clear difference in ideology between itself and the rest of the members of that Power Five conference. Now, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are on the same page. And what I do find interesting is that a lot of the head coaches in the Big Ten, and you talk about the really heavyweights, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, and so on, have definitely voiced a displeasure with the conference's decision. But in comparison to the Pac-12, I really have not seen any head coach, certainly not Herm Edwards at Arizona State, but even other head coaches around the conference that really have been voices of dissent concerning the conference's decision. But aside from that dynamic, as I started recording this podcast, the Big 12, another member of the Power Five conference, did uh, come down with their own decision literally in the last half hour or so since I recorded this podcast that they will indeed keep their fall football schedule intact. Now, there may be a modified kickoff date. There may be a modified uh, schedule, but they definitely intend to play football in the fall. The SEC and the ACC, while not having formal decisions like the other three conferences, have definitely communicated all throughout the day that they do intend to play football in the fall. Again, whether there's that means a late kickoff in September or in October, a modified schedule that already has been modified and may be further modified, uh, that remains to be seen. But to me, 
and there's a lot of things that jump at me and everybody else with this decision by the Pac-12, but I think that's one of the things that really strikes you right between the eyes, that the Power Five Conference, which at one point was seen to be the most unified, the most powerful group of schools in the entire NCAA, now uh, finds itself in a split decision, to borrow a term from boxing, where you have two conferences that have decided firmly they will not play any football at least until January of 2021, while you have other three conferences where it's going to be more or less business as usual. They will play football in the fall. Again, how that all shapes it, shapes up in terms of a kickoff date and number of games remains to be seen, but those three conferences currently are going to plan to play football in the fall, and that's something that really brings to, into question the role of the NCAA, which really has been absolutely absent, and it's really perplexing how much control the NCAA as a governing body does have over basketball. It obviously runs the field of 68, the, the, the March Madness tournament, but really when it comes to football, it just lets each conference, really it's each institution, just march to the beat of their own drum. Uh, sure, they're going to have uh, some say, if not total say, about who is eligible and who isn't in terms of student-athletes. They're going to have some say in terms of the recruiting calendar, and that's another uh, huge, huge aspect of this uh, whole decision that needs to be discussed, and we will address it. But they really never made any concerted effort to bring the five power five commissioners to the same table to have the same discussion and try to come to some kind of uniform decision. And here we are three conferences marching to the beat of their own drum compared to the other two. And that to me is a very, very concerning issue and really calls into question of what the future of college football is going to look like because as it stands now, we're looking at a bowl schedule that is not going to have any representatives from two power five conferences. We're potentially going to have a college football playoff where two conferences would not be represented at all. Now, sure, I mean, that schedule can change a thousand times between now and the end of the year, but you can have a very bizarre schedule where you have ACC, SEC, and the Big 12 have major ball games, maybe even playoff games at this point, who knows, taking place in January while the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are just beginning their regular season in the same month, January 2021. You really can't overstate the mess component, if you will, of today's decision and really indecision by some of the Power Five conferences. And not that there's any comfort at all, but when you look at the group of five conferences, the, the next tier below the Power Five, well, the AAC, Sunbelt, and Conference USA do continue forward with a plan of playing football in the fall of, of, of 2020. Now, if you do see other Power Five conferences bow out, or I should say postpone, to the spring, just like the Big Ten and Pac-12 did today, then maybe some of those group of five conferences do change their stance. But even in other conferences, uh, you're definitely seeing anything but a measure of unity. Uh, we know that the FCS uh, conferences, Division Two, II, Division Three teams, uh, decided to cancel their season. Some of the independents, like uh, UMass, for example, uh, decided uh, to... Uh, to cancel their season, I really should say postpone to the spring of 2021, although the language used by each conference or each school may differ. But nonetheless, there are a lot of conferences, a lot of schools out there that do not plan to play in the fall of 2020. And it's going to be a, a weird football season if everything uh, stands as it is right now on the evening of August 11th. It goes without saying that the health and safety of the players as it was viewed by the presidents of the universities, both in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, was at the forefront of this decision. And I have no doubt in my mind 
that schools in both conferences, with all the resources that they have, have been able to create a quasi-bubble environment, if you will, for their football players. Uh, they definitely adhered to a lot of sanitation procedures. They worked out uh, with masks, whether it's a, a walkthrough with a football or just working out in a weight training or conditioning training setting. There was a procedure in place, at least as far as concerns ASU, but I'm sure a lot of other schools in both conferences followed the same guidelines of entering the building one way, exiting it a certain way, not being able to congregate in the locker room. In other words, really taking a shower at home. If you do sit down to eat in the cafeteria, you are definitely sitting apart as much as you can. And if cafeterias look like the one that Arizona State has, then it really is not a big issue in that regard whatsoever. But in terms of uh, in-person contact uh, with the coaches, uh, that's something that only started uh, as of late, I, I believe just uh, just really uh, beginning on, on August 3rd. And August 17th was the date where you were going to see more of a traditional full camp practice setting. At least that was a plan until, until today's decision. But with all those extreme precautions that the players were taking while on campus, the $64,000 question was, what's going to happen when they leave campus? Now, I can tell you that the fact that Arizona State, unlike some schools in the Pac-12 and around the country, did not have to suspend their workouts even for one day. So even though the infection rates, there was a conscious decision by Arizona State to not uh, report those, whether it's among student athletes, staff, faculty, what have you, the fact that those workouts in Tempe have never been paused shows you that if there was any infection rate, at least when it comes to the football team, it was minimal at best and definitely uh, not at a rate which caused some concern which would lead to a pause in workouts. So Arizona State did everything by the book in terms of dealing with this pandemic on campus. But I think you should also give a tip of the hat to the players themselves and how they conducted themselves off campus because that's where the big question comes into play because all the precautions that you could take on campus can be thrown out of the window inadvertently or not once once you step foot off campus and that's really ultimately what's going to dictate if and when you're going to contract the coronavirus and how fast or how slow would it spread over to your teammates or just the people the people that you're in contact on a daily basis? So even though a lot of schools like Arizona State have done a great job having the discipline not only on campus but off campus in their personal life dealing with the pandemic, there became a, more of an awareness, if you will, of a specific heart condition, a condition called myocarditis which in a nutshell is an inflammation of the heart muscle and reduces your heart's ability to, to pump and really just hardens the heart, if you will, and not being able to, to function properly with the blood flow in and out of the heart. That is one long-lasting effect of contracting the coronavirus. So even if you are young, as most of these players obviously are, uh, being between the ages of uh, 18 and 23, more or less, and your ability to recover just from the classic symptoms of the pandemic, if you will, uh, loss of smell, loss of taste, uh, severe coughing and whatnot, you still had some lingering effects that might still exist in your body right after you recovered, or even worse, may be doormat to some extent and then flare up three, four, five years from now, really no different than a CTE head, head concussion situation where even in the first four or five years after you stop playing football for whatever reason, you have no amnesia issues, no chronic headache issues or anything else. But in year seven, year eight, year 10, 
after your playing days are over, you are suddenly dealing with a very severe condition that affects your daily life. And that's really what uh, doctors that were advising the Pac-12 ever since this pandemic started back in March did bring to the attention uh, of the presidents and of the athletic directors this condition of of myocarditis, which again is a very serious heart condition. Now, I'm certainly not oblivious to the argument that when a young player signs up to play football, and I'm not even talking about college football, even high school football, but even prior to that, they realize the risks that do exist, whether it be broken bones in every part of your body, whether it even be a CTE, head, head trauma, injury down the road and and any other medical condition medical injury that you can think of that the 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 sport of football can cause that you're going into this eyes wide open and even as a minor your parents have to sign permission slip after permission slip to allow you to play the game so there's really no mystery over here there's nothing that really sneaks up on you so to speak but at the same time there are some safeguards in place to try and prevent or at least minimize the effect of CTE, for example. All the gear that you play with in terms of broken bones, torn ligaments, what have you, there is a lot of safety equipment that can maybe not 100% prevent it, but at least give you a good chance against those conditions and those probabilities. But as we're sitting right here, trying to deal with this pandemic, with a lack of vaccine, it's hard to play a game that is all about social contact, if you will, especially the line of scrimmage, where you truly do not have any kind of defense mechanism, for lack of a better term, in place. Now, one reason the Pac-12 did move to a conference-only schedule is the general notion that all its member schools are adhering to the same exact safety and health procedures. So if an offensive lineman from Arizona State is lining up right across a defensive lineman from Washington State, you'd like to think in theory that each of those players has been super careful on and off campus just because of what the school has been preaching now for months and months and months in terms of all the preventative actions you can take in order not to contract the coronavirus. And I'm definitely not oblivious to the fact that just because of this quasi-bubble environment that football players are in, that they are safer than the general student population. But now the issue is a school like Arizona State, which isn't unique for most of Pac-12 schools right now, is having its general student body as we speak come back to campus. And as you can imagine, while those football players really hang out with their teammates more than anybody else, each of them has one, two, five friends that are not part of the football team. They're just part of the general student population out there. And it's impossible for those football players to know, and they're definitely not going to be engaged in any kind of inquisition of their friends who are not not football players, how those individuals are conducting themselves in terms of being careful to not contract the coronavirus. Realistically, you can't expect a football player to hang out with a non-football player at their apartment, outside, out and about, what have you, and both of them wearing masks the whole time they're engaging. I mean, that is something that more often than not is simply not happening. So I think that if you're right now in an environment where you do not have a vaccine, where you're in an environment where a football player intentionally or not might just negate all the safety and health precautions you have taken while interacting with the general student population and in the process contracting a virus that can have very dire consequences for you in the long term, that is 
a proposition from a medical standpoint that the university presidents were simply not ready to assume. And there is a lot of talk today and really in the days prior to now about players signing waivers and really not holding the school liable. But let's face it, we live in a society which is very sue happy, sue in, in terms of lawsuit happy. And a lot of legal scholars have already went on record saying that no matter what kind of waiver a player signs that is gonna let school X off the hook, whether they contract COVID-19 right now, whether they have any long-term effects concerning their heart and lungs five, 10 years from now, that those are waivers that are simply not gonna stand in a court of law and a school can find itself liable time and time again with a football team that has close to 85 scholarship players and in the case of Arizona State and who knows how many more walk-ons, let alone the coaching staff, the training staff, support staff that is in close contact with those players on, on a daily basis during the season or even during the preseason preparations and basically created a very uncomfortable landscape for the Pac-12 schools and the Big Ten schools for that matter. So we're definitely we're all aware of the players' movement, the hashtag we want to play, also the hashtag they had before that of we united, a social media message. Uh, on the one hand, really demanding from the schools that they provide as many safe and health measures as possible, be transparent with their communication. But then you also had the other hashtag, we want to play, where a lot of players at Arizona State and elsewhere were okay putting their name behind both hashtags. But I think at the end of the day, there was maybe some kind of clash between the two because you, you want the school to have you be as self-healthy as possible and due to that exact demand, if you will, that you put out there on social media, that's why they decided that you should not be playing in the fall and attempt to play in the spring. So that's really where the clash of we united and we want to play does take place. And your heart goes out to these players. There's no doubt about that. And I would be disappointed if there was any player on Arizona State, for example, that was totally blasé about this whole situation, didn't care if they play in September, play in October, play in January, or just play in September of 2021. I mean, that is probably not the type of player that ASU coaches would want to see on their roster. You obviously have coaching staff that is chomping at the bit, excited to coach. There are so many new faces on, on this coaching staff, and I can only imagine how anxious each and every one of them is to just get to game day and, and get to that first in-game situations where they where they get to coach uh, their players in a game that means something. And now this becomes an exercise in patience, not that they haven't engaged in that to begin with, but now this is really testing their tolerance and their resolve to keep on preparing for the season. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I mean, right now, Arizona State, for example, can only have 20 hours of instructions and waiting conditioning participation on each and every week. What does it look like from here on out? Is it going to be just 20 hours each week from now until, I guess, Christmas break? And then you jump into the season, the first or second week of January. Do teams in the Pac-12, for example, just hit the pause button, don't even engage in any waiting conditioning, training, don't have any walkthroughs with the ball. And when you look at a team like the Sun Devils, they are trying to implement new schemes on both sides of the ball. So they really could use as many walkthroughs, let alone traditional practice with pads as they can have in the next few months. But what will the Pac-12 allow or not allow throughout August, September, October, November, December, that that really remains to be seen. The Pac-12 coaches have been very clear that they did want to have a good six weeks of 
traditional practices, if you will, to adequately prepare for the season, is that even feasible in terms of where the pandemic is going to be come, I guess, middle of November, assuming that you're going to start the season the first week of January, just one of many, many unknowns out there. So the myocarditis, heart condition, again, an element of this coronavirus, which has really come more to the forefront the last few weeks compared to even one or two months ago when the pandemic was still in full flare, if you will, might have been the game changer in terms of the decisions that both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 arrived to. But I think you just also have a lot of conditions that really haven't changed in terms of states such as California and Arizona still considering to be hotspots. I mean, the pandemic is nowhere under control or being the, the curve being flattened at all in those two states, which house six of the 12 Pac-12 members. You also have issues with testing. Uh, obviously, being a, a college rather than a professional NFL team, for example, you really can't contract with a private lab. You cannot have an abundance of tests and tests that you can get results in in a fairly quick manner. Now, I know that Arizona State has really been on the forefront of saliva testing, uh, testing that they claim they can have results within 48 hours. They administered uh, that test hundreds, maybe thousands of times at, the, at this point, uh, not only to uh, football players and the coaches and support staff, but also faculty, staff, the general student body. But what exists at Arizona State is obviously not the same exact framework of testing with the other 11 Pac-12 schools, and that's something I'm sure that the medical experts did discuss with the Pac-12 presidents and athletic directors in the last few weeks, maybe even the last few months. And you also have uh, the fact that right now you have the state of California, which is not going to have any high school sports at all until January, and to still have the four universities do their own thing and play football like nothing has happened, let alone other sports, even like basketball, which it only starts in November, that would seem just a, a little bit um, out of place and definitely a PR nightmare, I think, both for the state of California and maybe even for the universities themselves. So those are other elements of the coronavirus that were still very, very significant and are prevalent enough to not even allow schools to play a shortened, modified schedule that starts three or four weeks later than usual. And here we are with the Pactol's decision to postpone not only football, but all fall sports into January. So just a quick note about basketball, which is not considered a fall sport, considered a winter sport, but also a sport that does have some overlap with football in a normal year. Well, now the Pac-12 basically announced that they're going to move also to a conference-only schedule in both men's and women's basketball. It's not going to start before January 1st, 2021. Whether that has to be delayed later on, much like the possibility that exists with football, uh, remains to be seen. But uh, just from an Arizona State perspective on this, you know that Bobby Hurley and his staff worked so hard to compile a challenging non-conference schedule each and every year. And for that element to be missing uh, must be really, really frustrating right now for the Sun Devil program. And you're wondering out loud, okay, well, you saw what happened in football where the Big Ten and Pac-12 kind of branched off, at least for the time being, from the other three Power Five conferences that are going to play football scheduled in the fall. What happens in basketball? Are you just going to have those three conferences display a full slate of non-conference games in November, December, and then only in January everybody's going to be on the same page in terms of a conference-only schedule? Uh, that's uh, just another element that uh, right now carries intrigue, if not frustration, as you look forward. So now when you look at this divide in the Power Five conferences, you have the normal apprehension, if not flat-out fear, of our conferences that are going to play football in the fall try to poach 
players from the Big Ten and or the Pac-12. And when the Pac-12 officials were asked about it, uh, the president of the University of Oregon was asked about it, as well as uh, Larry Scott, athletic director at Arizona State, Ray Anderson, they all scoffed at that idea. And they felt that the loyalty of the players to their respective schools, to the Pac-12, is really going to prevail. And just because of football not being played in January rather than September is not going to cause a mass a mass exodus or really have those players think that the grass is truly greener in those other three conferences and just cut bait and leave. But you also have an issue right now when it comes to recruiting because this is just another negative recruiting card, if you will, that the three conferences can hold over the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And even if you have some ASU commits who plan to enroll early in January, in theory right now, the same month they could actually start a delayed 2020 season, some of those pledges may want to be looking elsewhere because they see the uncertainty that still does exist in the Pac-12 because nobody knows if that conference of the Big Ten, for that matter, are indeed going to play a football season starting in January of 2021. So negative recruiting is such a big aspect of this whole college football recruiting landscape that this is something that really should not be overlooked at all. Now, as I'm recording this podcast, uh, Adam Gorney, our recruiting analyst at Rivals, did uh, talk to several Arizona State commits, not all of them, but uh, more than a handful, and all of them indicated that uh, they are staying for sure with their commitment or definitely leaning that way. So maybe for now, crisis averted, but you just don't know what the next few weeks and few months are going to bring. And that also now brings us to the recruiting calendar. And this is something that I mentioned a lot uh, on my premium message board, Devil's Huddle, is whether or not we are going to have a December signing period and a February signing period in 2021, or maybe we're going to go back to the old school format of having just one signing period the first Wednesday of February. And the reason for that is that right here, right now, the recruiting dead period is running all throughout August 31st. Now, it's hard to imagine the NCAA, which for a change is going to have to make a decision that impacts the rest of the Power Five conferences, that if they already know that two members, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, are not going to have any football being played until January, that they would still allow recruiting visits to take place or maybe to take place fairly before the end of 2020. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios uh, on the table, and your guess is as good as mine right now on August 11th as to what the NCAA is going to decide. But obviously, if you're shrinking more and more that visit uh, the window of opportunity to officially visit a school, then something has to give in terms of the December signing day. And I would imagine that especially schools in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten do not want that summer signing day, or signing period, I should say, of three days to be eliminated. They definitely want to secure as many commits as possible during that three-day period of December because if they're actually going to play games in January and now you're just one month prior to the only signing recruiting period, I can't imagine that coaching staff of a given Pac-12 school being more spread thin than they already probably are. The list of unique challenges and uncharted water issues that do derive from postponing a football season from the fall to the spring impacts recruiting quite a bit. And again, the signing period of December, whether or whether or not it takes place, is a huge, huge issue that probably all Power 5 conference schools 
would would have to contend to. But I think especially with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, it just creates more of a sense of urgency because maybe there are going to be some prying claws, so to speak, on their own recruits. And the challenge to really combat that negative recruiting narrative that I'm sure is going to come hot and heavy from the Power Five conferences. I mean, heck, maybe some of the Group Five conferences that will be playing in the fall, unlike the Pac-12, uh, maybe even they uh, get, get get into the action over here. So that is something that is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Another issue concerning recruiting is, okay, so let's say you are a 2021 Arizona State recruiting class commit. You graduate high school in December. You arrive at ASU, enrolled, admitted in January of 2021 as you scheduled. Well, now the season starts in January of 2021. Can you as a incoming freshman, and I mean incoming freshman, capital I, capital F, somebody who just arrived on campus the first week of January to a team like Arizona State, for example, which is about to kick off a delayed 2020 season the same week you're on campus or maybe the next week? Are you able to even have the chance from an NCAA bylaw perspective to play right away? Because now that can really maybe turn the whole negative recruiting against the three conferences that are going to play in the fall, or at least scheduled to play in the fall, I should say, because the situation is beyond fluid right now. But if you're an SEC team that's trying to pry away an ASU commit, but basically knowing that that player cannot play for you being an SEC team until September of 2021, that would be kind of hard to have that recruiting selling point where that ASU commit knows that the NCAA is actually going to allow them to play as a fresh fresh incoming freshman, somebody who arrives the first week of January, you know, and maybe there's some kind of acclimation cooling period, if you will, that would allow that freshman to play maybe later in January or maybe the first week of February. I mean, just give them a chance to get their bearings, get their feet wet on the field, off the field before they even allow to participate in a game. But that can be an enticing proposition. Now, I'm not stating this as an etch-in-the-stone rule that's going to happen. But that is maybe a more positive Pandora box that opens, if that makes sense. That, again, any early enrollee to a Pac-12 program does have the chance to play right away, relatively speaking. Again, it may not be week one. It may, 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 may be until week five. But they are able to play after being just a short few weeks on campus. That that's really enticing. And look, and obviously there's going to be some freshmen that are much more prepared to do that than others. When you have a class of 20, 20 or twenty plus players uh, new to the program, not everybody can hit the ground running that fast. But that's definitely an, an uh, a aspect of intrigue in what has normally been a pretty bleak topic to talk about if you're somebody who follows the Pac-12. So I know this segment didn't hit on perhaps all the aspects of the Pac-12's decision today, but I think it definitely did address some more significant ones on this topic. And as always, I want to give you a chance to ask questions about this. I'm probably going to touch on some other facets of this Pac-12 announcement today, and also allowed uh, you guys for a change maybe to vent, and I'll read your vent uh, on the podcast. So let's jump into that next.
So whenever I begin to address listeners' questions on my podcast, I start by taking care of the people who take care of me, my premium subscribers. If you're not subscribed already, devilsdigest.com is the website. Devil's Huddles, our premium message board. We're going to have a lot of discussion concerning this topic and rest assured that even though there's not going to be any football, at least until January, we're not going to have a shortage of topics uh, to discuss. So we'd love to have you as a member of our community as a premium subscriber at devilsdigest.com. So please subscribe today and we can talk much more about this topic and others in a much more intimate setting. The first question comes from Santan Devil. What do you think the postponement to the spring will do for the players movement for things like additional health, financial education, and players association requests? I definitely think that the we united hashtag and we want to play hashtag we're probably more the we united one uh, has definitely awakened something with the players not only in the pac 12 but really but really across the country and i don't know if the postponement to the spring is really going to dull that issue i think you might have new voices uh, just by virtue of players moving on graduating in the future, but I don't think this issue is really going away now. I know that some of the initial demands of the players had to do with revenue sharing. And look, uh, those demands, if you want to be honest about it, were really not realistic. I think the players in the Pac-12 wanted 50% uh, revenue sharing. And while there's a lot of talk about the uh, name, name image likeness uh, aspect, uh, being involved in, in players' compensation. And again, if you want to talk about a can of worms, that's a whole different topic for a whole different day, how you're going to manage that uh, specific uh, NCAA legislation that might be coming down the pike uh, in, the next, in the next year or two. But I think that when it comes to financial uh, component of the players' demands, and I know I've been beating this drum forever, so I apologize if I'm saying this for the millionth time, but increasing stipends for student-athletes of revenue sports such as football, that is the way to go in terms of a more just financial compensation for players. I know some would disagree with me and say that tuition, books, room and board should be enough of a compensation compensation level, if, if you will, and you are getting a stipend on top of that. But I feel when you talk about programs who, let's face it, are, are just raking in dozens of millions of dollars each and every year operating with budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars, for them to try to justify not increasing the stipend of a student athlete, especially of a revenue sport like football, in the name of amateurism, uh, as I mentioned many times before, it, it really was a ticking time bomb that hasn't quite exploded right now with the We United movement, but I think is only going to get stronger from, from here on out. In terms of health and safety component of the We United, I feel it's basically going to be the same. Uh, obviously, if you're needing to be careful right now during a pandemic, it's not like when this pandemic is gonna go away, hopefully sooner rather than later, that the health and safety measures of student athletes, whether it's football or any other sport, it's gonna be thrown out of the window, but maybe schools are gonna be more aware of it, more sensitive to it, and maybe they didn't need the player movement necessarily to do that because of pandemic and the plethora of valuable lessons you can learn from it, valuable conclusions you can draw from it, will compel the schools as it is to really uh, take care of the health and safety measures. And the last component, I guess, of the We United movement of the college players was really having a seat at the table when it comes to major decisions that do affect them. Maybe that's something we see a little more in the years to come and whether it was something that the, the presence of the pandemic did provide the catalyst to that or maybe it's just more social awareness of schools. That, that really remains to be seen. So I think that movement uh, is definitely not going to die because now football is being played in the spring or not, and definitely the conferences that are 
apparently going to keep the full schedule going are definitely not going to see the movement in those conferences uh, go go by the wayside. So I, overall, I think that movement is here to stay. What exactly do we do not accomplish? That's a different story. But I think, again, uh, safety and health uh, measures being preserved, maybe an increased stipend to players rather than a revenue sharing, which I think is just a pie in the sky idea. Maybe those are some of the feasible components we see come out out of this uh, players movement. The next question comes from West Valley Devil with the cancellation of, and it's really not a cancellation, it's against a postponement of the football schedule from the fall to the spring by the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Do you see any schools in the Pac-12 that might try to play games despite their conference, kind of like what Nebraska and Ohio State from the Big Ten implied? Uh, on that topic, do you think other conferences will still be able to have a season this fall, meaning the three other Power 5 conferences, SEC, ACC, and the Big 12? Uh, to address the first question, look, I just think it's a lot of bravado from Nebraska and Ohio State saying that, okay, we're just going to take our ball and go home and play for one of the other three Power 5 conferences that are going to play in the fall. I understand the frustration. I think a lot of it is just also the passion level that does exist with those programs in the Big Ten. And I think it's that same exact passion level that is definitely having conferences like the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 maybe not be too quick and maybe won't be making a decision at all concerning any postponement over the football season just because the level of passion commitment over there is something that the Pac-12 can only yearn for. Now, some will say that maybe it's that high level of passion that can actually cause more harm than good during a pandemic with those three Power Five conferences. That, that, that remains to be seen. And that goes to the second question over here. Do you think those conferences will be able to, able to play a true season if they did start in the fall? I am skeptical about that. And I'm not just talking about making a statement as a Pac-12 beat writer, trying to make myself feel good or trying to make you know my, my colleagues feel good or maybe at ASU feel good about the decision that came down today by the conference. But I just don't see this pandemic really allowing a sport as football with all the physical challenges on and off the field to really be able to keep this pandemic in check for the next three, four months. So that's my personal opinion. and. I guess we'll see later in the year if I'm right or wrong about that. But I, I can't see those three conferences playing a full season if they were to start it in the fall, whether it's late September or early October. Next question comes from Ray2363. How sincere do you think the conference is about trying to play football in the spring? Or could it be just a cover to buy themselves time until January to figure out that there won't be football again until next fall? Um, and also, do you, what do you think this does for the recruiting on the national scale, both the immediate future and the year to come? So in terms of the second question first, as far as recruiting, like I said, I mean, I think you're definitely going to see negative recruiting from the conferences that are scheduled to play in the fall right now. But I think that if you are dealing with a recruits family that isn't blinded by the lights, for lack of a better term, uh, by the SEC or by the ACC who played right away in the fall and are really maybe more taking to heart the health and safety that is paramount uh, to a program like Arizona State, for example, the Pac-12. Maybe that's an aspect that can successfully and effectively combat what negative recruiting tactics the other conferences are, are going to really engage with you. So I don't think it's going to be something that's really going to cause a major shift in recruiting where now the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are just going to get lesser caliber recruits in the immediate future or maybe even the distant future just because of what happened right now in 2020 and the postponement of the season. Now, speaking of the postponement of the season, the first question that you asked, I don't think that the Pac-12 is delaying the inevitable. I truly feel that they want to play in the spring. I, I feel that they are sincere about that. Now, the Pac-12 and, and the Big, Big Ten, for that matter, have said that they're not going to allow non-scientific, non-medical 
factors overrule everything else when it comes to playing a season on time or playing a season on a delayed schedule. So if, God forbid, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, for that matter, come January or really, I guess, December 2020, realize, okay, you know what? Even with all our best efforts, we cannot play football as we were wanting to or scheduled to in January 2021. I don't think it's really just pulling that rabbit out of their hat that they're just keeping tucked in right now, knowing that it's going to come out eventually. I just really think that they're going to have the medical and scientific data to back them up. So, you know, that that's my opinion, and I'm sure maybe some will disagree with that, but I really feel that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten truly want to play in January. There's a lot of financial incentive, mainly TV money, that's tied into it, and I don't think they have zero intentions of playing a football season in January of 2021. Whether it happens or not, that, that obviously remains to be seen. And again, the scientific and medical community that has been advising those two conferences is really going to have the final say here. And last question from the Devil's Huddle, and this comes from Lobo Jangles. I'd love to hear some input from players, and I guess even current players, about whether or not it's feasible to play two seasons in one calendar year. And I understand if it's uh, something that cannot be done in this podcast. And now you're right, Lobo Jangles, it's something we're going to have to address in the near future in a separate uh, article, maybe not so much a podcast. But uh, my good friend Brad Denny from uh, Speakers with Devils podcast has spoken to a former player, Ryan Newsom, and a current player, Kyle Soley, about the challenges of playing two seasons in one calendar year or something that, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, even the big boys in the NFL do not do that, do not entertain that idea. So I don't think it's going to be all that feasible. Let's put it this way. I don't think you'll see two 12 regular season games take place in the same span of 12 months. That's something that I just simply don't see happening. I could even see maybe a sharp compromise, for lack of a better term, that the season that you're going to play starting in January may be just eight games at that point, not even 10, let alone 12, uh, just because you know that you're going to have another season to be played in full starting in September of, of 2021. And you're still talking about kids who are barely adults, young men that are still growing into their bodies, and it's going to be asking a hell of a lot for those players to play January, February, March, maybe dipping in into April, depending on their postseason prospects, and then taking off just three months or so before they need to get back into the swing of things and prepare for fall camp, which would start in August. Uh, that's something that I just don't see being that feasible. But again, like you said, this can be a topic that really can't cover right here, right now on the podcast, but we can definitely discuss more about that later in future articles and content. Okay, moving on to the questions that we got on Twitter and uh, here, not that I'm surprised because it's Twitter, we're seeing maybe more venting than questions. Uh, one uh, uh, Twitter user, uh, Jared uh, Zuckowitz, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, I probably am. Uh, he believes that no spring uh, football can happen. Uh, could be a final blow to struggling Pac-12. ASU should be exploring Big 12 options, and he sees uh, USC going independent. Now, look, USC going independent, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. I just don't know if they're really itching to leave the Pac-12. And what happened today could change they're thinking. I'm not going to deny that possibility. We're in a pandemic. Everything is on the table. Uh, you never say never. Uh, you can never dismiss one theory over the other. Every, anything, anything and everything can happen. But as far as Arizona State being in the Big 12, I just think that the travel expenses that ASU was going to have to endure. And don't forget, I mean... You're not going to be in a bubble where it's just going to be football and basketball are going to play Big 12 teams and then the rest of the other sports can still play Pac-12 teams or just play teams closer to home. So, you know, it's one thing for 
a football team uh, at most to have six away games in Big 12 country. Let's say if that even were to happen. Okay. And a basketball team may have, I would say, I don't know, just about 10 games, let's say in Big 12 country. Okay. And, and that's something that both sports can sustain with the revenue streams that they have. But now you're talking about even like a major sport like baseball, which is not a revenue sport. Women's basketball, volleyball, soccer, wrestling, swim and dive, and the list goes on and on and on. It's a whole lot different for those teams to travel to Texas three, four times a year than to travel to much closer destinations in California or in Utah, Colorado. I'm not sure you can say that some of the trips to the North west the states of oregon and washington may be equivalent to some of the trips you would take to the big 12 uh you know but don't forget the west west virginia last time i checked is still in the big 12 so now you're talking about a trip to the east coast that several non-revenue sports are going to have to take each and every year and again from a dollar and cents perspective i just don't know how feasible that would be for arizona state how feasible that would be for other Pac-12 schools with smaller budgets, even though I know this question really pertains more to Arizona State rather than the Pac-12 community at large. I do know that there was a lot of chatter two, three years ago about some Big 12 teams joining the Pac-12 or some Pac-12 teams joining the Big 12. And the frustration today with the Pac-12 rendering their decision versus the Big 12 right now staying the course and wanting to play in the fall is reigniting all that narrative. But honestly, I don't see Arizona State or any other team going to the Big 12 anytime in the near or distant future, and definitely not because of this pandemic-driven decision concerning football. And as far as USC going independent because of this, I really don't see that uh, being an option too. But if given a choice saying what is more likely to happen, sure, USC going independent rather than ASU or any other Pac-12 team joining the Big 12, yes, I think that would be more likely to happen, but far, far from being a guarantee, at least in my humble opinion. Next question from Twitter comes from Brad Burns. Which teams voted to play versus not to play? So here's the thing. The Pac-12 did say that they it was a unanimous vote by the presidents and the chancellors of the conference schools to postpone the football season from the fall to to the spring. Some will claim that is really just window dressing and that there were some dissenting voices here, but ultimately they knew that they had to provide a, a, a united front and, and that's what they did. And I believe it was, I forget if it was Larry Scott or Ray Anderson on our conference call early in the day that said that the only dissent, if you will, between the presidents and the chancellors was about how the press release concerning this decision should be crafted. So ultimately we can only go by what, what we're told. I still don't think that even if there was some kind of faction of university presidents that did oppose this, that they, uh, were a faction that almost tilted the scales in their in their favor or anything like that. I mean, maybe in reality it was a 10-2-9-3 vote, but I don't think it was a 7-5 or even 8-4 vote. And, and again, if you just go by the official Pac-12 announcement, which I would hope they would be truthful about this, this vote was unanimous among the university's presidents and chancellors. The next... Um, I guess vent, not rather than question from Austin or AGUTT underscore 12. Ray Anderson said our responsibilities are not about liability. It's about accountability to these athletes and their families for their future. So why letting tens of thousands of students on campus, uh, but they, when they could go home and infect their families too. I just feel that you cannot compare a student athlete to a general student body member because the member of the general student body is not in the same position as student athlete to receive this the type of scholarship that they're receiving i mean sure there's some 
students at ASU that do have pretty nice scholarships going for them, but I would say that most scholarship recipients on campus that are not student athletes do not receive the same level of scholarship that a student athlete would receive at Arizona State or really another Pac-12 school for that matter. And a student athlete, by definition, is continuously participating in school activities and activities which represent ASU. Again, that's a very different dynamic from another student. So I feel that ASU, whether communicating to a parent of a student athlete or a parent of a run-of-a-mill student, are still being transparent as to what they're doing for the health and safety of each of those student members. But there was maybe less of a choice, and I'm trying to put this as delicately as possible, for a member of the general student body to say, you know what, I'm going to sit this year out, do online classes, maybe take a gap year, whatever the case may be, versus a student athlete who understood whether that was implicitly spoken to him by one of his coaches or just crystal clear without saying much that they better be on campus on such and such date, even if their season doesn't start for many months from now, that they need to be there as part of being in a framework of an Arizona State team. So I know that you're trying to make an apples-to-apples comparison over here, but I do feel that there are a lot of facets in play which ultimately cannot really compare a student-athlete to a member of the general student body at Arizona State or any other school for that matter. So that's why, in my opinion, there's just a different set of circumstances in play. Again, when you get a very generous scholarship from Arizona State because you're representing the school, the standard that you're held to, the policies and procedures that you need to adhere to are just much, much different than just a run-of-a-mill student that uh, does not represent the school to the level that a student-athlete does. And last question from Twitter comes from at Right for Ohio. Uh, not a chance we play in the spring. It wouldn't allow enough time until the fall 20, 2021 season. Again, I definitely do acknowledge that there are some challenges and some former players and current players will acknowledge uh, those challenges. I think that there's no other alternative but playing an abbreviated season, maybe even an eight-game season, if you are going to play in the spring and then just have your traditional fall season start in September. So that's what I think you're going to see in terms of the ideal, which is probably the wrong word to use, ideal solution to trying to play two football seasons in the same calendar year. I don't think anybody's denying the fact that it's much easier said than done, but that's the way that it's it's going to have to be conducted and time will tell if they can pull this off or not. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, in the same token, time will tell if the Big 12, ACC, and SEC can really start and end a season that is going to begin in the fall with the, with the pandemic over everybody's head and and still in a state like Florida, which is uh, both uh, has schools in both in the SEC and the SEC, uh, how do they uh, maneuver all that in the months to come? To me, that's uh, just as big as a question mark as a school or a conference, I'm sorry, as the Pac-12 or the Big Ten trying to play two football seasons in one given calendar year. Okay, and the last listener question comes from Facebook from uh, Eddie Jenke III. Again, I'm sorry for butchering that family name. A report says that Nebraska is going to proceed with football this fall and will play in another conference, i.e. the SEC. Ohio State is still open to play, too. Jim Harbaugh, the head coach at the University of Michigan, wants to play. Uh, Texas said that they will play if the Big 12 drops fall football. Maybe ASU should follow suit. I simply do not see that. Uh, if there was a list of rebel schools in the Pac-12, if there is such a thing, I just would not put ASU in that group. I think that their 
commitment to the health and safety with their biodesign department has been so strong, so diligent these last few months dealing with the pandemic that they're simply not going to throw everything out of the window and say, okay, just for the, this football season, we're going to play in the SEC or the Big 12 or what have you. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm, I'm hearing what's coming out of Nebraska and Ohio State and Michigan and Texas. In terms of Texas, right now they are going to play in the fall, so they really shouldn't be crying much at all. But the other Big Ten schools, it's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of manifestation of their commitment level to football, their passion level about the sport. I get that 100%. But ultimately, you're not going to branch out from the Big Ten on a temporary basis, let alone a permanent basis, just so you can play the 2020 football season in the fall rather than uh, rather than in January. So I just wouldn't pay a whole lot of attention to those wants and desires by schools like Nebraska, Ohio State, and Michigan. They're saying all the right things, I guess, to appease themselves, appease the fan base, whatever the case may be. But when it comes to actions that are going to follow those words, I think they're just staying put in the Big Ten. They're not temporarily playing elsewhere in 2020. I simply do not see that happening. So that'll do it for this episode of the Jevil Junkies podcast. I know the topic at hand was serious and heavy, and I can't guarantee that the podcast for the rest of the 2020 calendar year are going to be more joyful in nature. But, but then again, throughout all this bad news, Arizona State still has a top 25 recruiting class, and some of our future podcasts, let alone Premium features at devilsidus.com are going to talk about uh, that recruiting class. So I think there's some happy news to be delivered in the weeks and months to come. So if you're not a premium subscriber, please sign up today at devilsdigest.com. We'd love to have you part of our community where you can join us and talk about any and every Sun Devil sports topic. Thanks for tuning in. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town